Well, welcome to this episode of the Texas Tech edition of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jackson Moody. Texas Tech has won the Big 12 title in women's soccer. The Texas Rangers beat the Astros in seven to go to the World Series. Basketball is getting closer. Everything's good, except for on the football field. Um, Yeah, I don't know what that was, but Texas Tech loses 27-14 to a not good BYU team. It was a resounding defeat. This team looked bad. We're going to talk about it and why maybe there's a glimpse of optimism. Maybe if Baron Morden comes back. And of course, we have Spitgate to talk about from this one. Before we get going, if y'all could go ahead and leave us a rating and review. Um, if you send a f- picture of a five star rating into jacksonmoody37 at gmail.com, we'll get you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail. And best of all, um, if you're a Rangers fan and you don't want the Rangers to lose the World Series, go ahead and send, submit a five-star review, send that in, and I won't place a bet on the Rangers to win the World Series because I am clearly bad luck. But anyways, going back to what happened on Friday night in Provo, um, or Saturday night. So obviously the game started on FS2. I switch over. And it's second and 10. And the first thing I see is LJ Martin running 55 yards to Tech 20. And BYU gets on the board right there. And I will say this. I said last week we needed – I get the analytics with going forward on fourth. But when you have a third-string quarterback in the game, I don't think you always need to go forward on fourth. And this next drive – Texas Tech gets down to the first and 10. It's fourth and one. It was a first down. We got robbed on that. It was a first down. Taj Brooks had the first down. We should have challenged that play. But we go with Jake Strong. I mean, he fumbles the ball. I don't know if it it was a zone read. I don't get why, A, why you're running your quarterback in the first quarter when you have nobody behind him. You have a wide receiver behind him. Why are we running the ball with Jake Strong in that first quarter? in the first quarter at all why is he throwing lead blocks out there at all because if we lose him we are completely screwed i i know that you may say jake strong's not a good quarterback he's a true freshman it is what it is but to put him into a position where he has an extra chance to get injured just doesn't make sense to me and we fumble there i i just don't get why we're going for it on fourth with a third stringer unless we have to you know BYU's offense isn't good. Your defense, yes, it struggled that first drive. Yes, it struggled last week. The rest of the day, the defense was pretty good. And for the most part of the season, the defense has been pretty good. Why not take the three, get on the board, regroup, get some momentum going, get a stop, and you're right back in the game. Instead, Jake Strong fumbles, and there goes the chance to score. And then you fumble on the next drive. One play, again, a zone read. And... Why are we running it with Jake Strong? Why are we even giving him the chance to run it? I get he's fast. I get he can make stuff happen. But it just seems but it just seems like a wholly unnecessary risk. Now, when Tyler Shuck's in the game and you got Baron Morden behind him, or last year when Shuck was in the game, people complained, why would you run it with him? Well, you had Donovan Smith and Baron Morden behind him. You're okay. That's football. It happens. But you got to be more conservative when this is your last quarterback that's eligible to play. I mean, you have got to be more conservative with that. And you, look, it's 14 nothing before you even really get going in this game because of two plays. A 55-yard touchdown 
and then a fumble return for a touchdown. And for the most part, obviously, you get the touchdown. BYU, Lassister makes a great leaping grab on the sideline. I mean, both of their drives were really two, both of their touchdown drives offensively were sparked by two big plays. That's it. For the rest of the game, I have no complaints with this defense. I have no complaints with Tim DeRuiter. I think he did a good job. And Tim DeRuiter's battling with injuries, battling with some injuries. And he's doing a good job. Why is it that our offense is always this stagnant? And I will say this. I don't have as many complaints with Zach Kitley today. I think that most of his play calls, he ran the ball with Taj Brooks a lot. He did a lot of wide receiver screens. He tried to make it easy on Jake Strong. The thing I just don't like is the running the quarterback and then the one from the head coach is going for it on that fourth down. Take the field goal. Get some momentum. It's the first quarter. You're playing a bad offense. There's a lot of game to play. At least get something on the board that you can go to a freshman quarterback and, hey, you got a long scoring drive there. Something worked out. Something worked out. Something good's happening. And calm him down that way. Settle him down into the game because then the next drive they punt, they get some yards out of it. They punt, you're pinned back. And now they have a great punter. So even if you kick off, that that may happen anyways. But then, I mean, just one play and it's 14-0. The game seems like it's over at that point. It just ended that quickly for Texas Tech. And I think the most frustrating thing with this team is this was a very winnable game. This this was by no means a game that couldn't be won. I mean, Kendon Slovis passed for 127 yards today. LJ Martin ran for under 100. And they had Aiden Robbins run for 49, who's kind of their gadget back. He hit over 100 yards on the year with this performance. He was at 64 coming into the game. But he was still only 3.1 yards a carry. And look, we ran it with Taj Brooks. He got 31 carries, 105 yards, 3.4 average. That's not good enough. Cameron Valdez only got five carries in this game, which I don't really get considering that he's your most explosive back. And now I'm not going to complain about Taj Brooks getting 31 carries at all. I'm glad that they're running it with him. But when it's not working, maybe when it's at 25 carries, hey, maybe five of those carries could have gone to Cameron Valdez considering that he was averaging 7.6 and he can actually make stuff happen out of the backfield and can be more explosive. You need Taj Brooks in there to wear down that front seven, for sure. He's one of the best running backs in the nation. But, man, five carries with Cameron Valdez when he's the most explosive back you have and is a guy that can just make things happen on a dime doesn't make any sense to me at all. And, I mean, just talking about Jake Strong here, he got 37 pass attempts, 19 of 37, 236, a touchdown, three picks. That last pick, um, I don't know, maybe y'all have a different point of view, but I I had given up on the game at that point, and he threw that last pick, and all I could do was laugh. I mean, it is kind of funny at that point, and I'm not blaming Jake Strong for any of this. This is a guy who shouldn't have seen the field this year. This is a guy that there were no plans for him to ever see the field this year, and he's quite frankly a guy that I don't know if he's ever going to enter this season as a starting quarterback. I think that you know, there were some things he did today uh, or on Saturday that makes you think, okay, maybe he can be a guy for the future. But, man, um, 
that was tough to watch him. And uh, again, no blame should be placed on Jake Strong for this season. Um, maybe a small part of the blame because he's out there on the field. But this is a guy that could develop to be a pretty good backup quarterback. Heck, maybe he surprises you and be's, becomes a starter. It's going to take more development. But remember, we did we booed Graham Harrell his freshman season, and he turned out just fine. So not really wanting to pile on Jake Strong for this one at all. It it was it was tough to watch, but again, it it's hard to blame the kid for this one. Overall though, and before we get to overall in the state of the program, the Spitgate. So we get a tight end, Jaden York ejected uh from Batty. Um so Batty, before our touchdown, goes over, gets in Miles Price's face pretty forcefully on that kickoff return pretty forcefully and is just going at him and then the next play or that extra point after we score the touchdown Jaden York's looks like he's walking off the field batty walks into him and start and they start jawing with each other it looked like batty instigated it Jaden York goes back batty walks over no reaction goes over to the ref says that he spits on me, and they toss him out of the game for that. It, that makes no sense. First off, you're taking a player's word that was just jawing at, at our guy on the other sideline and then walked into this guy that somebody spit on him, and then you go over to the sideline and see Batty just sitting there laughing about it. I, I mean, ridiculous ridiculous officiating job by the big 12 there and now that makes no difference on who wins or loses the game most BYU fans would probably would not be happy about that either but come on and for people that want to pile on Jaden York there's absolutely no proof he spit yeah you can't you can't prove that he didn't but there it looks like there is nothing intentional there maybe when you're jawing at him you have a mouthpiece and maybe some spit comes out but it's not like the guy hawked a loogie on him. They were jawing at each other. It's like having a conversation with somebody, and once in a while, some spit flies out a small piece. I, I mean, come on. It, we're really ejecting guys off of somebody's word that this guy spit on me when it clearly wasn't intentional, and he wasn't even the instigator. It makes no sense to me. Makes no sense. Jaden York should not be piled on for that one. It's pretty clear that there was absolutely nothing intentional there if spit even came out. But overall, so where does Tech go from here? First off, if they want to have a chance in games, they need Barrymore and healthy. I mean, I mean, that's just clear. Jake Strong, I, he's too young. He has too many turnovers in him. He, he's not going to be able to win you football games. Barrymore needs to get healthy. Barrymore needs to be back for that TCU game. And he has 12 days off to regroup and get ready for that game. So I think there's a good chance that he'll play. There is a really good chance he'll play. And TCU is a very winnable game. You could find, you could get a win over a big rival and feel like something's coming up all right. You could be 3-0 and against Texas Big 12 teams, 4-0 and against Texas teams if you count Tarleton State. And feel decent at that point. Feel, well, not decent. This is this season has fallen way short of all expectations, even the most conservative ones. But you can get something going against TCU. You can go into Kansas, UCF, and have a chance to go into Austin against a Texas team who, quite frankly, we don't know how good Quinn Ewers is or how healthy he is. And against a secondary 
that looks like it is ripe for the picking right now, and you could have a healthy Baron Morton in that and see what he has and feel good about going into next season. Maybe you get into that game at five and six and you're playing for a bowl game there. Maybe they're still playing to go to the playoff. There is still stuff left in the season, but it has been a massive disappointment. Their program as a whole, though, I think there's still reason for optimism. You still have a great recruiting class coming in. You have Micah Hudson coming in. It, you, you have young guys playing on the defensive end that you didn't think that you'd have or have ready with game experience going into next year, and you're going to have that now. So there is opportunities for this team to grow. Baron Morton, especially if he gets these last four games, He's going to have more experience going into the next season. 2024 could be a good year for Texas Tech. Quite clearly, 2023 is not a good year by any stretch of the imagination. And things have to change on the offensive end. Things have got to change with this coaching staff right now. I mean, I'm sorry. it It's just not working. It's just not working. It, I get some of these games... There is no reason you should have lost to Wyoming, and you lost because your offense went cold. You sh- the Oregon loss is the Oregon loss. West Virginia, you shouldn't have lost to them. You lost because your offense look- went cold. Kansas State, you shouldn't have lost to them. or You shouldn't have lost by two, three possessions to Kansas State. That's for dang sure. And, yes, you can say Baron Morton was injured. That's why the offense went cold. Sure, you were also down at halftime when you still had Baron Morton in the game. You can say, well, BYU, you had a third stringer. Look at those stats. You still shouldn't be losing by two possessions. Their quarterback threw for 130 yards, and they didn't have a a rush, a rush running back over 100 yards on the day. You shouldn't have lost this game either, <laughs> at least not by two possessions. I mean, something has got to change, e- even if it's not the coordinator. Something has got to change with this offense because, look, it – it's just not working. It's just not working. And again, Zach Hitley, he's going to find success as an offense coordinator someday. That, that I believe, 100%. He's 32 years old, and he's, show, he's shown out at West, Western Kentucky. And you can also see some you know, creative plays that he has in the playbook, but it is not working here. It's just not working. And, I mean, it, there's really not much more you can say on that. There's good pieces on the staff. There's good pieces in this program. But there's some that you need to get out. And again, Tim DeRuiter, that defensive side of the ball, they've had some lapses. They had a really bad second half against Kansas State. For the most part, I don't have any complaints with the defense. I will take this defense seven days of the week without any questions. But moving on to some happier news, Texas Tech has won the Big 12 Soccer Championship. They clinched it with a win in Ames. They are now top five in the nation. They're going into the Big 12 Tournament. If you're in the Austin area, that Big 12 tournament's actually in Round Rock. Uh, So if you want to go watch that one, good chance that you actually get to see Texas Tech win on a grass, well, really turf field in a game that some call football. But the really good news for most of y'all out there is the Rangers are headed to the World Series. I got to say, so... I, I was finishing up my day. My day got done pretty early Monday, and I was in San Antonio and look, looked at tickets and was surprised that the tickets were pretty reasonable. So I got it. I drove all the way to Houston, uh, about 200 miles from there, and drove back to San Antonio because I had to be back there that next morning, that night. 
So I drove 400 miles round trip to watch the Astros in Game 7 of the All-Texas ALCS. And the Rangers just absolutely stomped them. And there is no doubt. I mean, even just before the game, looking at the lineups, it's like, all right, Rangers have Altuve. They have Bregman. They have Jordan. Not many other guys in this lineup have been carrying their weight. I mean, and then you look across at the Rangers. You have Garcia. You have Gardner You or Garver. You had Josh Young playing well, hitting over 300 in this postseason, which – Another good one for Tex Tech. You have, I mean, you have two good rookies in that lineup. I mean, that lineup was just stacked. There's no way around it. I felt really good about the Astros hanging into that game with Javier. I felt really good about it. And he just crapped the bed in that first inning. He, I, I, can't, I can't explain what happened to him because, I mean, you saw him in the ALDS. He looked great. You saw him in Game 3 of your Rangers fan. He looked great. You saw him in the last World Series. He looked great. And then it just all came out from under him. I thought the pitching changes from Dusty Baker, who he's been a good manager. Don't get me wrong. But the pitching change for Dusty Baker to go away with Hunter Brown after that third inning, I don't get it. I, I get JP France is good. I get Hunter Brown gave up a run in that inning, but Hunter Brown had at least a third inning in that arm. He had at least a third inning because that's what he did in game four. He went three innings. I mean, he had another inning in that arm. Why are we pulling him? He gave up a solo shot. That was it. Why are we pulling Hunter Brown in that situation? And don't get me wrong. It wouldn't have changed it. The Rangers were just the better team. But that was frustrating because it was that fourth inning that things really got out of hand. It was 8-2 to two after that, and you just knew at that point the game's over. It was over after four innings. And, man, if you leave Hunter Brown in, maybe you have a chance. I don't get why Dusty Baker didn't go away from Maldonado. I get Yanir Diaz didn't have a great postseason. But he came through in Game 5. He came through in Game 5. I just do not understand that play call by Dusty Baker to not give Yanir a chance. The amount of times in this series where it's two outs, runners in scoring position, and Maldonado came up was just like a fever dream for Astros fans. It's just a fever dream. The last guy you want to see. And shoot, uh, the Rangers had a lot of great moments getting out of those plays, but they're getting them out of... They're getting that out against a catcher who should be in the Dominican minor leagues, quite honestly. But I'm sure all you Rangers fans enjoyed those moments. But enough about my pitiful Astros. The Rangers look good. The Rangers look really good. And just looking ahead to the World Series, I mean, you have Montgomery, you have Vivaldi, who's a stud, and then you have Scherzer, who's getting better and better right now. This is going to be a heck of a series. And I keep seeing people from national media saying this is the worst series. It's no coastal teams. Who cares? Like, seriously, who cares? I, The Rangers are one of the more entertaining teams to watch in baseball right now. I mean, between Semyon, Seager, Carter, Atolis Garcia, uh, you have Mitch Garver can make stuff happen. Jonah Heim, Nathan, Nathaniel Lowe, Josh Young, Tavares. I mean, just looking at this lineup, it's like, this is a darn good lineup that they have. I know Semyon's been struggling a bit, as has uh, Tavares, but this is just a dang good lineup that the Rangers have. They, and 
man, the bullpen, they only have a few guys out of that bullpen to trust. They're, really, they only have a few guys out of this bullpen that you can trust. You can trust LeCarc. You can trust Spores. Do you trust Chapman? Eh, I wouldn't quite trust Chapman. Not in the ninth. Maybe in the eighth I'd trust him. You have Will Smith that you can trust out of there somewhat. Maybe not. Probably not. You probably don't trust him. Astros fans did a couple years ago. But, man, this is going to be an exciting. And I get the stance that, well, this team only won 90 games. And then you have 106-win Braves getting knocked out. It's like, yeah, that's baseball. You have a five-game series to go win. You have a five-game series to go win. And now, should the Diamondbacks have gotten in the World Series with their record? Probably not. Or got into the playoffs with their record? Probably not. 84 and 78 shouldn't probably get you in the World Series. But also, these are two teams that lost over 100 games two years ago. If you can't get excited about a World Series for these two, and you're a neutral now, I get any Phillies or Astros fans who just don't want to watch this stuff. But if you're a neutral fan, and you see two teams that lost over 100 games a couple years ago are both red hot, an, a Rangers team who lost three games all postseason that went 9-3 and three in the postseason, and then the Diamondbacks, who dropped the first two in Philly, went back, took two of three from Arizona, then went and shut down the Phillies lineup to, what, two or three runs through 18 innings in Philly? You can't get excited about that World Series? I mean, come on. You, you have rookies all over the place, too. You have Carroll. You have Young. You have Evan Carter. You have two bullpens that, boy, there could be some late-inning runs in these series. There could be some really late-inning runs in these series between the Diamondbacks and Rangers. That's going to be fun to watch. Starting pitching is going to have to go deep for both these teams. But... I don't know. Even as a neutral, I'm not quite there yet. It's Wednesday. I'm not quite there yet. I'm I'm less than 48 hours removed from when the Astros had their season end in Game 7 and just blow out fashion and got to lose two at home. But by Friday, I'll wake up and I'll be excited to watch this series. I, this is going to be a fun World Series. And any neutrals, any people from coast, the coast that don't want to watch this one are complete and utter idiots in my mind. But that's going to do it for this one. Um, we'll be back twice next week. We will have a preview looking ahead to TCU early in the week. And then we'll go ahead and do a recap slash basketball one. Text Tech plays TCU next Thursday. May God have mercy on us. It is, quite frankly, the toilet bowl at this point. But we're going to win it.